Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. As Maggie said earlier, Peter Buckland is coming to preach today and will be preaching a sermon about a theology of parenting. One of the main sermon texts he's using is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. As a way of preparing our hearts and minds for the sermon, I'm going to read those verses over us, and then Peter will come. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning to bring you the second message in our series, The Other Six Days. The focus of this series is to help us to see how we can put our faith into practice every day to honor the Lord and lift Him up. Today's topic is the theology of parenting, where we're going to be taking a look at what God says about training our children to love Him, to love others, and to grow in maturity. Well, as you know, we live in a world that has a tremendous amount of information at our fingertips. So I thought it would be really fun to get on one of my favorite sites, Amazon, and see what the parenting bestseller book titles are today. So I scoured through and I found five titles that I thought were really interesting that I'd like to play a game with you on called First Impressions. So what I'd like for you to do is think through what your first impression might be to some of these titles as I read them for you. I have five. The first is Scream Free Parenting. Monsters, Inc., of course, where laughter is more powerful than screaming. Siblings Without Rivalry. Chapter one, The Only Child. Oh, yeah. The One Minute Super Dad. Making the most of your 60 seconds a day with your child. Ooh, burn. Making your children mind without losing yours. <laughs> Too late. Have child, lost mind. And the last one, which is my favorite, have a new kid by Friday. Chapter one, getting the most for your trade-in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, don't we feel that way? If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome, and I would like to say that if you kind of accidentally came in on the parenting sermon, there will be something here for you too, even if you don't have children. And all kidding aside, these books do have some very good teaching material on parenting, but they also remind us that parenting is hard work, and it's not for the faint-hearted. So at the beginning, I would like to give a shout out to all of our moms and our dads and everybody else that's working with children, raising them and growing them. Because it's really in the little things that we tend to take the most pleasure, like bathing our toddler and getting them in their jammies and to bed without a massive nuclear meltdown. 
or working with our children about their math facts so that they're better prepared for the map test, which unfortunately is right around the corner, or celebrating the joys of our teens serving somebody when they won't serve us. That one is really fun. But we see that there are victories along the way that we want to celebrate, and so we need to congratulate ourselves on our successes But we know that challenges continue to remain because parenting is hard work and this world is a hard place for many parents and their children. So today I want to bring you some encouragement and hope so that you can focus your attention on what God would like for you to know about what he wants to accomplish in your parenting. But maybe already your morning today was like some of our Sunday mornings. You see, our youngest son, Alex, had an aversion to church buildings when he was about three and four years old. And every time that we would turn into a parking lot to come to church, he would scream, no, at the top of his lungs. And he would start to cry, of which he would continue to cry throughout the entire morning. I would unfasten him from the car seat, and I would take him to his room, which Patty Bearden was his teacher. Many of you know Patty. And I think Patty Bearden single-handedly saved Alex for Jesus. And she just worked with him and worked with him and worked with him. And slowly, bit by bit, he got used to coming to church. So today, if you would say thank you to the teachers that are working with your children, that would be great. Because I know that I've appreciated all of the teachers who have been in this church the 19 years that we have been here to help us to raise our children. But let's turn our attention now to the topic at hand and ask ourselves the question, what would God want us to know is the end goal of parenting? What is he really up to and what does he want to see in the lives of our children? Well, Paul gives us this end goal in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 when he states that it's God's intention to grow our children to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is a passage that we have looked at in the Roman series. So as we consider what parenting is all about today, I want for you to think that the overall goal of our parenting is for our children to grow to be like Christ. And with this being our primary goal, it means it supersedes all other goals. It supersedes the goal of career. It supersedes the goal of friends and how we spend our extracurricular activity time what jobs that we might take, what relationships we have, and what personal experiences that we would really like to have. As a result of our study in Romans, we know that God is the author of our life, and he wants to move us to be much more like Jesus. And he will meet us where we are and empower us to get us where we need to go. We can live the resurrection life if we choose him, and so can our children So, all other decisions become paled in the light of this important one. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 is probably the most famous passage about raising children in the Bible. You probably know it, and you can say it along with me if you want to. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this verse has its ultimate fulfillment in our relationship with Jesus, where when we as Christian parents work with our children and we teach them what it means to pray through their day and to study the word of God and to think in certain ways that honor the God and honor God, and we do that every single day, we will find that our children will tend to lean into him if that's been what their lifestyle is, even if they tend to move away from him later in life. But the bad news is the opposite is also true. 
If we come into this building and all we do is put on our best faces and we play church, but we have no intention of changing and our homes don't reflect the values of God, but every time a Christian person comes along, we act like it does, our children see that there's something that is much more important to us than our relationship with Christ. And what tends to happen is over time, they see that God is kind of an add-on and they really don't have a need for him. You see, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 is a maxim. That is, it is true most of the time or has a lot of truth in it, but it is not absolutely true. And so what we're going to be taking a look at is how we can capitalize on this truth so that you and I, as parents, can help to raise our children in ways that really help for them to stay faithful for a lifetime. The Hebrew words and Greek words that have to do with training our children have to do with sharpening them to get them ready for discussions in the real world, have to do with dedicating themselves to the love of the Lord. They have to do with taking step-by-step action to learn spiritual growth. They have to do with formal and informal training and discipline. So let's turn our attention to a progression of three steps that we can all take that will help move us into the will of God so that our children will have a better chance of learning about him and knowing him. This first step that we're going to look at is that Christian parents reflect God's loving character. Christian parents reflect God's loving character. Michael spoke last week and he talked about how Christian marriage reflects God's loving character. And in the same way as moms and dads, or if you're a single parent, you as a single parent have a relationship with God, you want to reflect that love and that relationship with your children. 1 John chapter 4, 7 and 8 is our anchor verse for this truth. John wrote, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You'll notice it doesn't say God does love, or God kind of likes you. It is God's essence that he is love. And he hands that off to us, and he says, don't you want to be like me? Don't you want your essence to be love? Caring for people, doing the right kinds of things for them. So reflecting the loving character of God is the foundation of the first and second greatest commandments. You, you know these also. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This morning, we're going to apply these two commands to our parenting, and so if we were to rewrite them along the lines of parenting, God might say something like this to us, moms and dads, and everyone else who is raising children, Love me first with everything you've got. You're going to run out of energy, wisdom, and physical strength through the rigors of parenting. There will be times that you'll feel like a zombie parent from too little sleep or a raging lunatic parent because of too much stress. I know this. I've made you. You live in a broken world. But loving me means that I will be holding you together and helping you every step of the way. The second command is like the first. Love your children no matter what they do or say. With my help, you can live out both of these commandments well. So as parents, we have to love God first. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it's easier to love God than to love our children, right? I mean, God doesn't give us poopy diapers and door slams and coming in late and excuses. 
He loves us and he cares about us, but he says, as you love me, my love will rub off so that you can love in the difficult moments of your life and you can love difficult people. The commandment to love our children means that we're going to find ways that we're going to love them no matter how they behave, no matter how they perform, no matter who their friends are, no matter how difficult of a time they might have. We love them unconditionally while they struggle and we want them to crash into our love for them when they are hurt because we want them to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're for them and we want them to be like Jesus. Well, I was helping out in a prison ministry a number of years ago for my work at Ozark Christian College, and I had come home one evening, and it was time for me to tuck my children in bed. And as I was tucking in Austin, who was our second-born middle child, he looked at me, and he said, Daddy, would you visit me in prison? He was seven. And I looked at him, and I said, did you do something while I was gone? Are you planning on doing something that would send you to jail? Oh, no, Daddy, no, no. But would you come see me if I was in jail? What was Austin really asking? He was asking, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? And so I looked at him and I said, Austin, there's nothing that you could ever do that would keep me from loving you. And yes, I would come and see you in jail. And he smiled, that little seven-year-old smile, and rolled over, and he went to sleep. It was a really cool moment. In order to love our children well, we have to capture their heart, which is the number one emotional task that we have as parents. Capturing the heart of our children means that they're going to be emotionally connected to us and that they know that we love them. But if we don't capture their heart, somebody else will. All the voices that are out there Ours needs to speak the loudest and the most loving to them. However, as parents, we often face a singular roadblock to capturing the heart of our children. And this roadblock is the problem of yelling. And yelling often leads to harshness. So to capture the heart of our children and to keep them, we have to stop yelling at our children. Now, evidence links frequent parental yelling to higher antisocial child behaviors, lower self-esteem, and more psychological problems. And to stop yelling, a replacement has to be found. Peter stated in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. The power exists for us to change. God's power can transform an impatient, angry parent's heart to one that is more loving. Because the anger of a parent does not accomplish the righteousness in the life of the child that God desires. So, if we are yelling... One of the commitments that I'm calling you to today is to decide to stop and to make commitments to yourself and tell somebody that will encourage you that you want to learn a different parenting style. Now, to help you out, we do have a parenting class here called Growing Kids God's Way, which is one of many options that will help you to have a model because you can't just stop. You have to replace that model with something else. We have to think it through and plan what we want to do. But we also have some other business to do today, and that is to apologize to our children. To apologize to them for yelling at them, maybe today or at least by the end of the week. My wife is a teacher, and she has said, you know, sometimes when I teach, I ask myself, what would my students feel like with this lesson? 
So the question is, is what do my kids feel like when I yell at them? What I want to be yelled at? And of course the answer is no, but we find ourselves doing it. And so I want for you to make a decision today to stop yelling and find an alternative. I've selected five resources that are in the resource center for you to take a look at. I'll mention a couple in my sermon this morning, but there are some models and some ways that you can begin to learn how you could choose how not to yell. Now, we've been talking about how love really is this foundational piece for us and allows for us to get in contact with the love of God and his power. And what I'd like to do is see how that love of God moves to the next stage or the next step of Christian parenting, which is Christian parents lead their children with grace and truth. You'll notice that grace and truth are put together. They are not separated um, in this particular point. And we need to have both of them together because grace and truth do some pretty amazing things when they are combined. Our verse that we're going to look at is John chapter 1, verse 14, where John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. There they are, grace and truth. Notice which one comes first. Full of grace and truth. Is that what we are full of? Grace is composed of God's merciful kindness that leads us to salvation. And from that point on, it gives us spiritual strength and knowledge about him. It gives us emotional closeness and helps us to grow to be like Jesus. These benefits are all wrapped up in forgiveness and the chance to renew our relationship with God over and over again as much as we need to. Always remember that grace moves us emotionally closer to God and gives us access to his power. But truth is a different matter. Truth is reality. It's a fact. It's a certainty. And it can seem harsh at times because it is what it is and is unyielding. But these words are important, separated, but when put together, give us a glimpse at God's heart and his character, and thereby gives us a model that we are also to follow. You'll notice that they're always connected in Jesus. When Jesus speaks the truth, he extends grace, and when he was graceful, he did so while being truthful at the same time. So let's explore this blend for just a few minutes. First of all, this blend is a description of the very heart of God and how he wants us to treat each other because he treats us this way. Second, grace and truth are the twin towers of how we live out the commandments to love God and love people. Paul puts his own unique spin on this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 when he says that we are to speak the truth in love. And third, both grace and truth are vital for healthy relationships and thus for healthy parenting. Randy Alcorn, in his book entitled The Grace and Truth Paradox, states that grace without truth breeds moral deception and compromise, and truth without grace breeds self-righteousness and legalism. Grace and truth really are the boundaries of love. So here is a way that grace and truth might be practiced in our own parenting. Truth establishes the morals, the ethics, and the daily practices of our lives. And grace is the road back to living the way that we need to live when we fall short. Truth is the uncompromising value of the kingdom of God to honor him and love him above all else. Grace gives us the chance to learn how to do this day by day and step by step 
as long as we need to. And truth is the hard conversation that we need to have with our children. And grace is the sweetness that can help take away its bitter taste. Well, our son, Austin, when he was a sophomore, had some friends over to the house while Vanna and I were gone. And they decided that it would be really fun to play a game of hide-and-seek that involved kind of a chase in the middle of all of that. And they figured that if they could outrun the other person to home base, then that person would be safe and it would be a really cool game. So while they were playing this game, one of Austin's friends decided that he was going to be like a gazelle and jump over the back of our sectional couch. Well, the problem is, is that his friend was built like a rhino and not a gazelle. (laughs) And if you know anything about rhinos, they don't jump over things, they run through things. And he did get some air, I'm sure of it, at least an inch, maybe a little less. And when he crashed into the back of our sectional, he destroyed the entire internal frame on the back of our couch. Oh, yes, it's the curve part, the bad part. So when Van and I came home and I went in to see how Austin was doing, the friends had all left, I would sometimes stand on that curve part to talk to people, and I stood there and I leaned on it and I fell over onto the seat of the couch. And I looked at him and I said, what happened? And he went, oh, you been there. So we had us one of those more difficult conversations to try to figure out what happened to our couch. And after working on this with Austin and after he laid it out for me, we talked about how um, chasing each other in the house and running through furniture is probably not the best choice that you can make truthfully. But Grace also says that his friend is more important than a couch. Can I get an amen? We're more important than furniture. So as parents, we are under stress to keep our children happy. We're encouraged to accent the type of cheap grace that minimizes consequences, teaches that all children are always winners, and that our children have to feel happy and fulfilled all the time. We're told to not risk having our children be angry with us. But this type of parenting actually backfires on us. Dr. Tim Elmore wrote Artificial Maturity as a book to expose this problem. He stated that when children are raised in this cheap grace kind of mentality, they actually struggle more as young adults than those who are raised with a blend of grace and truth. These young adults do not experience the joy of accomplishing something through struggles of achieving goals after hard work, or having a realistic assessment of their strengths and weaknesses. Elmore also reported that when under pressure to perform at college, or in sports, or in a relationship, or at a job, these young adults tended to quit and blame others for their lack of success, that they were waiting to be rescued by somebody, but that someone never came. So, how do we blend grace and truth together in such a way that our children grow and develop and we avoid the problem that Dr. Tim Elmore talked about? This leads us through to our third step today, and that is that Christian parents train through modeling and informal teaching. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9 is the foundational section that we're actually going to look at this. This modeling and informal teaching are powerful. 
that modeling is the best way for children to learn and informal teaching is the method that we actually use. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give to you today so that it might go well with you and you might enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey, so that it might go well with you and you would increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children, Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see the modeling? Do you see the informal training that Moses is writing about? This daily modeling and daily training capitalize on teachable moments, which is a fast way for children to learn because they're ready to learn at that time. Modeling and teaching must be soaked in love, the love of God and the love for our children, as well as filled with grace and truth. So here are some main points that I want for you to get out of this passage for this third step. The first verse says that these are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord our God directed me to teach you to observe. Well, the commands, decrees, and laws, the the truths that God wants for us to know actually tell us about him so that we don't have to worry about what he wants or how to make a connection with him. We don't have to guess anymore. Verse 3 says, hear Israel and be careful to obey. Blessing follows obedience. Just like our children, when our children listen to us, they get more of us more easily. And we want to support them and give them more. God is the same way. This statement um, needs to be taught because it unlocks the blessings of God. Verse 4 is the central statement of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Our central statement of faith is, hear, O church, Jesus Christ is the Son of God the only way to the Father. And that statement must be proclaimed loudly and clearly within our families. Verse 5 is the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus added, love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments become our default commandments. When we don't know what else to do, this is what we do. We pull back to love. And we ask ourselves, how do my thoughts How do the expression of my emotions, how do my behaviors really reflect that I love God and that I love my children? One of the best ways to love our children is to listen to them and withhold our judgment. Let them get their story out just as it is. Let them explain from their own perspective what's going on. It may or may not be correct, but as you train them and help them and grow them, if you know what footsteps they're walking in, you can help them find the right path. Give them a chance to explain themselves and then commit yourself to training them in really good ways before you exact discipline. Verse 7, the first part, tells us that we are to impress these commands on our children. And this word impress means to talk about them over and over and over again, that we grab the conversation and we talk about it. 
And as a result, they get to learn from us why faith is so important. Now, some Bible scholars also think that this word has to do with like sharpening a knife so that children are able to go out into the marketplace of ideas and share their faith and tell people why they believe what they believe. And the last section, verses 7 through 9, tell us that we're to interact with our children all the time in spiritual ways, that our families are supposed to reflect our faith. One of the books that I selected for you is a book entitled The Blessing by John Trent and Gary Smalley. This book was written a number of years ago and has been updated. And I took this book to heart 24 years ago and I wrote a blessing for my children. And I would like to share that with you because one of the greatest things that we can do with our children is to pray for them. And every night I would pray for my children and I would tuck them in bed and I would recite this blessing. Lord, bless Audrey that she will always love you and obey you, that she will grow up to be a wise woman and enjoy reading the Bible and learning of its truth, that she will serve you all of her life and be filled up with your Holy Spirit. Now, all three of my children got that blessing, and then I would add a character trait because my children, believe it or not, weren't perfect. And I looked at them and I thought, well, what one trait do you really lack? For Audrey, it was compassion. She was not very compassionate But today, she's in India right now working with impoverished Indians to end wasting by increasing sanitation and nutrition. She has in her heart a compassion for the underprivileged and underserved. For my son Austin, it was that he would stand up for the truth because he had more non-Christian friends than anybody else in our family. And everybody loves him. And I was afraid that he would be unduly influenced. And he... Um, is a righteous man who talks about his faith. And Alex, I prayed that he would be kind because he was just mean. That's all I can say. (laughs) And if you know him, both Austin and Alex come to church here. If you know him, he's a pretty cool young man. God listens to you. You also want to initiate these conversations wherever you can, at home, in the car, When you're going somewhere, somewhere privately. Pray for your children when you take them to school in the morning. Let them really know that you're for them. And as they go out to serve the Lord in their own lives, that you're helping them to do a good job. That God will give them wisdom and strength. I want to say something personal to parents in blended families. I selected another research uh, resource for you by Ron Deal called The Smart Step Family. And I'd like for you to check out that book because Ron Deal does a really nice job talking about how to grow a Christian step family. But there's some other research that's been done about how you can step into a family and do a better job at parental authority than what most parents realize. And that is that as moms and dads, you step away from the children and you talk about what should the rules of this family be? What are we really going to stand for? And what are the consequences if you don't live up to those standards? And you work that out behind the scenes. And then you come out to your children and you say to them, in this family we. Instead of saying, I'm your dad now, you'll do what I say. Or I'm your mom and mama's always right. What you say is, in this family we clean up the kitchen and load the dishwasher after every meal. In this family, we don't text when we're sitting at a table. In this family, we let each other know when we're going to be late. In this family, we're going to be kind. In this family. Both the biological and the step-parent can say that because they're on the same page. 
Well, now that we've considered these truths this morning, these three steps, how are they going to actually all flow together? So there is another slide for you that highlights how these three elements fit together from bottom to top so that we can have a good theology of parenting. You'll notice that the foundation on this little pyramid slide is that Christian parenting is to reflect the loving character of God. And we're to live out the first and second greatest commandments of loving God and loving our family. This emphasis then moves to the second step, which is expressing our love through a blend of grace and truth. And then third is that this grace and truth is seen every day through modeling and informal conversations with our children so that we invite them to come alongside of the work of God in their lives. Let's not kid ourselves. Nobody here does this perfectly, including me. This is a hard task. And if you're like me, there are some days that you have not done so well. And what I want to do is end with hope today. That God meets us where we are and he takes us where he wants us to go. And he has the ability to give us the power and the wisdom and the grace to move forward with our families. God allows for us to grow. And today, where you sit, I want for you to think about what your next step is. Think through what God has put on your heart. But I also want you to know as an elder in this church, for all of you who are single parents... This is a special place for you because we recognize that being a single parent is really, really difficult. And we want to pray for you and we want to support you and encourage you in any way that we can. And those of you in blended families, we know that you face really unique challenges as well. And we want for you to have the great relationship that God would like. Off in the back of the lobby is our prayer center. And this morning, I want to encourage you to go there and leave a prayer for what we can pray for you about. There are box, there's a box out there like these that are hanging in the, uh, from the ceiling that you can put your prayer request in or in the baskets on either side. But if you would just like to go and write a prayer request and put it in there, uh, we would like to pray for you. And if you need, to con- need us to contact you, we would like that. But if you'd like to come tell your story, there'll be people that are there to encourage you and to support you so that you can find help today and encouragement in your relationship with your children. I also want you to know, as an elder in this church, this is a safe place for you. We love you. And we want for this to be your home and for you to feel like you can talk to us about what's really going on. So please don't hide from this rich fellowship. What I want for you to do right now is just stop, kind of take a deep breath, and I want you to think about ways in which your Heavenly Father loves you. What has He done that has shown you that He's magnificent and that He supports you and cares for you? Because it's out of that modeling that we want to do the same for our family and the people around us. And what I want for you to do ultimately is to commit yourself to be like Him. We're going to sing a song about how amazing God is in just a minute. And as you stop and you think about where you are and what you need to to do next, remember, you are among friends here. There is no criticism. They're just our steps forward. So would you please stand as we sing about how amazing God is and you make your commitments before the Lord.
Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.